Uh, I just got back from Canada. I went this past uh, week to, to Vancouver, British Columbia, and the weather was just like this, except 30 degrees colder. It was lots of fun. I loved it. Um, yeah, go to Vancouver in the summer, okay, people? Um, it was a great time. I got to meet with one of our mission partners, a church that we serve there. About two dozen of us over the last five or six years have been to Vancouver doing ministry and mission. Uh, and uh, we may have some additional projects coming up with this church, a construction project, and then a family retreat they do, uh, as well as some other uh, outreach type things. So I want to encourage you during this season, this is our spring season, we pray for North America, church planters. Uh, there are 78 uh, Southern Baptist churches in British Columbia. Now, I know all Americans are great at geography. We're, we're, we're experts at geography. Uh, British Columbia is on the west coast above California, Washington, Oregon, and Washington. Okay, that's west coast British Columbia. It is, the, it is bigger than Texas in geography. They have 78 Southern Baptist churches. We have 78 in Friendswood and Pearland. <laughs> they have about 40 million people total in Canada. Uh, most of them live in Vancouver, uh, Toronto, uh, uh, and Montreal. And so we need to be praying uh, for our neighbors to the north because they need Jesus. And they're going to experience uh, 500,000 immigrants, Canada will, 500,000 immigrants every year for the next five years at least. Half a million immigrants into the country over the next uh, five years, each year for the next five years. So there's a great need for the gospel uh, to go there. And so we want to partner uh, and be great friends and neighbors to those churches that are doing mighty things. And so if you're fluent in Mandarin, Cantonese, or Korean, please see me after church, okay? I have God's will for your life, okay? Uh, so just, just that little note aside. Uh, the other thing I want to tell you about um, is that last week, uh, we started this series uh, called, uh, I want to point to that one, uh, Not Your TV Dad, Jesus Knows Best, uh, where we look at the commands of Christ. Uh, in, in the Gospels, uh, there are about 50 of those. We're not going to look at all 50, but we're going to look at some uh, that our staff, uh, our staff helped uh, determine uh, which ones we're going to look at. And last week, we talked about rejoicing in persecution. And I shared kind of the extremes of that, extremes of persecution, like People all over the world are getting jailed and uh, losing their life and having struggle. And then there, there are those in Southeast Houston, uh, like us, who, who probably don't experience that level uh, of persecution. But uh, I want to remind you about something, as the scripture says, to rejoice, to be glad when you're persecuted. Because I, I doubt any of us here in this region of the world will experience jail time for our faith. But we might face persecution in different ways. Uh, usually those are relational in nature. Uh, perhaps you're the only one in your family that's a follower of Christ. You're the only one that gets up on Sunday morning and makes it to church. And you get made fun of or people make snide comments. Maybe when you're having family gatherings at Christmas or Thanksgiving, uh, you're the one that people like, oh yeah, there are those Jesus people again. And, and they just 
make digs and digs and digs. Or maybe a coworker, a classmate, a friend, when tragedy strikes, they ask this hard question because you've been faithful to the Lord. Well, where is your God now? And they try to sow seeds of doubt in your life. I want to encourage you today that in those moments, uh, you, in a very small way, are getting a glimpse of what it means to be like your Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you can rejoice in those moments that, that, that I'm, I, I'm becoming more like Christ in these moments when I stand for my faith and, and I live in a world that even in our area is not so much for Jesus. Uh, therefore, some God that loves everybody with no consequences, but they're not for Jesus. We can be glad. We can rejoice in that. And today, we're going to continue that theme of, of how we treat those people around us, uh, how we extend those relational connections, primarily to those who are against us and maybe even to the people who we're against uh, how, how do we deal with that? How, would he, how do we manage that? And so if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be at the tail end of that chapter. Uh, this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' uh, most famous sermon, perhaps arguably the greatest and most famous sermon ever. But in, in Matthew 5, at the very end, after Jesus gives several uh, big topic discussions, he comes to this last one uh, about how we love people and how we love people who are against us and how we be perfect. Can we achieve that? And so look there at Matthew 5, verse 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, perfection is a, is a strange thing. I, one of my favorite movies of all time, top three for sure. Uh, it seems like it came out just yesterday, but it was 20 years ago, which means I'm getting old. Because those things that seem like yesterday are now all of a sudden 20 years old. But there was a movie called Remember the Titans. Uh, Denzel Washington was the key player. He played the part of Coach Boone. It's based on a true story about this high school football team in Virginia uh, that was in the middle of uh, integration. They were an integrated school when no one else was doing that. So he takes over as a, as a black head coach. And the team surprisingly does very well. They win every game. They make it to the state championship. When they get to the state championship, the opposing team has their number, and they're not doing very well. So they come in for halftime. Coach Boone, that's Denzel Washington's uh, character, 
he gives them this sort of, you know, it's okay, boys, speech. He says, win or lose, hold your heads high. Do your best. It's all that anyone can ask of you. Sort of like mm, admitting defeat. Like just let's make it through and you're okay. And as he's giving this speech, uh, one of the two star linebackers, Julius, interrupts him. And he says, coach, with all due respect, you've demanded more of us. You've demanded perfection. He goes on to say, I'm not perfect. I never will be. But we have won every game to this point. We are perfect. And if it's all the same to you, coach, I'd like to leave the field tonight perfect. That's what Jesus is telling us. You're not perfect, but you are perfect. And for our great Western minds, we have struggle with that. That that we are not perfect. If you admit that you are perfect, see me later. We're going to pray for you, okay? But you are perfect, so you can declare that, but you have to give me the right reason why. And that's what Jesus is speaking to here. That his goal for us is perfection. And when most of us think about perfection, we think just that. Absolutely perfect, purely holy, no blemish, not 99.9%, no 100%. But that's actually not what Jesus is talking about here. He uses a word called teleos, which means mature, complete, whole, blameless. It's the idea that, that I strive to be mature in my faith. I strive to be one who is without blame, one who is complete. And part of being complete is loving those who are against me. Part of being complete are the previous five things he mentions. He talks about murder, lust, hate, deception, retaliation. Those are the easy ones on the list. Because probably none of us in here have murdered someone, I hope. But you might have hated somebody, which is the same. You might have one day said, oh yes, I'll be there. And you didn't show up. You ever done that? Don't raise your hand because if you, if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. Because right, we all say, oh yeah, 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 I'm, I'm there. And we forget, we oversleep, we really don't want to do it. We just placate our friend or enemy. <laughs> and we, we don't do what we say. Th- those are the easy ones. And then he gets to this one about loving your enemies. And the challenge here with all of these, not just this last one, love your enemies, is that most of us want to be like Coach Boone. We want to be like Denzel Washington. It's okay. Win or lose, hold your head high. It's all right. Here's your participation trophy. 
That's what we want because we want the standard lowered for us. We want it easier. We, we want the easy path out, and yet Jesus doesn't budge. He doesn't change the standard because we're a bunch of numbskulls, because there's no way we can make it happen on our own strength. He doesn't lower the standard. No, he keeps the standard high. The standard is holiness. The standard is maturity, absolute maturity, knowing that you and I can never make it on our own. We never get there on our own. That's why we need him. That's why we have to put our trust in him. That the only way that we're going to achieve maturity, completeness, wholeness, being without blame is to put our faith in the one who is perfect, 100% perfect. That I'm going to rest in his righteousness. I think we sang about that this morning. We're going to rest in his righteousness, not mine, not my goodness, not how smart I am, not how many times I can get it right when I know there's going to be that one time where I mess up. No, I'm going to live through him. I'm going to allow his perfection to live in and through me. That's why I put my faith in Jesus. That's why I put my trust in his death for me on the cross, that the penalty that he paid, the blood that he shed for me, paid the penalty of my imperfection, of my inability to be perfect. And so now when I stand before God, God doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. That's how I am perfect, is that Jesus sees God. God sees Jesus when he looks at me. And then I strive to be perfect. I want to be more like my Savior. I want to live a life that resembles him. And so I'm going to do what no one else will do. I'm going to love my enemies. Ever do what no one else does? Because our world is designed for conformity. Our world is designed for conformity. Just drive down 45, either direction, and go 65 in the left lane. (laughs) Students, don't ever do this. Okay, stay in the right lane and do 60, 58. No, don't do that. You'll get run over. Uh, But go 65 in the left lane. You will be honked at, lights flash, people will zoom around you. They want you to conform to this unwritten rule that you drive 85 in the left lane on 45. If you want to drive that slow, you get in one of those other lanes. That's the unwritten rule of conformity. When you go to school, they want you to dress a certain way, right? When you go to work, they want you to dress a certain way, right? When, when you and I stand in line at the grocery store or in an elevator, there are unwritten rules on how we should do that. If not, you don't believe me, just next time you're downtown or somewhere where there's an elevator, walk in and face the back and start talking to everybody. No one does that. 
that's sane. At least that's what the world thinks. There's conformity all around us. And Jesus is all about doing the things that people would not normally do. We live in a natural world, and Jesus wants us to live supernaturally. Supernaturally. And so when the world says, just love the people that love you, he says, that's not enough. When the world says, as long as you don't actually carry out murder, Jesus says, that's not enough. When you say yes, but you're really not committed, that's not enough. When someone harms you, you need to harm them worse. Jesus says no. That's not the way to do it. When someone is against you, naturally we're against them. And Jesus says no, there's a different way. There's a perfect way. There's a perfect way. As he preaches this sermon, as he speaks to us today, he is attempting to undo a long-standing, tradi- uh, long-standing tradition and human nature. He's trying to undo it. That we would live differently. That we would love those who are against us. Love the people who are hardest to love. Why? Because love is the identifying feature of a child of God. And if you and I want to be a member of God's family, then it means without any excuse that we love our enemies and our friends. We love both. Because what does he say there? He says it. He says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. When you and I love our enemies, we identify as a child of God. We demonstrate that we belong to Jesus. That God is our heavenly Father. Because the rest of the world hates their enemies. And because occasionally I get on social media, I see it. And I see how oftentimes we as Christians hate our enemies. And, and we do well to sit behind a keyboard and declare that. And so it's no wonder, it's no wonder that a person outside the faith would ever want to be engaged with a Christian. Because most of the time, the world only knows what we're against not what we're for. And Jesus is saying something different here. I'm for love. I'm for unconditional love. Why? Because our Heavenly Father, God Himself, blesses the just and the unjust. That's why the sun shines on everybody. And that's why it rains on everybody. There's blessing and struggle for everyone. God is not a respecter of men. He shows the same grace, the same love, unconditional, without condition. Doesn't matter your performance, how good you are, how well you keep a bunch of rules. That doesn't matter. God loves you equally. And he loves the person who is the worst person you can think of. He loves them the same. And he's called you and me to love them. To extend grace and mercy to them. To do others, to do what others will not do. 
Because what reward is it? What benefit is it if we just love the people that love us? Hey, whoopee, we're just like tax collectors. I hope you paid your taxes. No, my hope is that you got a refund and you'll give some of that to help fix our projector. Um, it's kind of a joke, but not really. Um, that was not in the notes. Uh, Spirit, I guess, gave me that one. <laughs> but, but let us do things that are supernatural. Not, not unnatural, supernatural. Because the power of the living God lives in you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so you have the power to love those who are difficult to love. You have the power to love those who are against you. You have the power to love those who you're against. To bless them, to encourage them, to, to steer them to the truth. God is calling us to a higher level of living. A level of maturity. A level of completeness. Because I want to be known for the things that Christians are for. We're for grace. Getting something you don't deserve, that's grace. And I, I want something I don't deserve, a good thing. I also want mercy. There are times when I deserve terrible things and God spares me. I want forgiveness. Where nobody's keeping a record of how many times I've messed up. I want peace. There's no turmoil. There's no frustration. I, I, I want to experience joy. That comes by, by knowing that my, not only is my eternity secure, but I have a family of faith that I get to share life with. Not just my biological family, but I have a family of faith that I get to share life with. I want people to know that's what Jesus is for. But God's called us to do something different. And so my prayer is that your life is different. That when people see you and interact with you, you're not doing the same thing that everyone else in the world is doing. You're not responding in the same way. When someone speaks poorly about you, when they, when they tear you down, you're not an eye for an eye. When, when someone else gets a promotion, you celebrate them rather than sulking that you didn't get it. Because that's what the world does. The world undermines that person and goes around their back and talks to all the coworkers. No, we're, we're going to do things differently. When that neighbor doesn't ever cut their yard enough, and I love my neighbor. He always cuts like the whole thing. He's wonderful. That whole middle piece between us, it's wonderful. Like we all have those things. God's called us to a different standard than the rest of the world. To do what nobody else would do. Uh, I'm not a big golfer. Many of you know our middle son is a big golfer, actually studying it in college, and like that's true. Sounds weird, but it's true. But we have a great friend uh, who we've known since we lived in Orlando, uh, who, is a, who is a writer, 
uh, for Golf Week magazine and is kind of big in the golf world. And she's down this weekend. The, the women's, the women are having one of their major championships, uh, the U.S. Open in the Woodlands. Um, I'm sure that's why a few people aren't here today is they're up there in the Woodlands because um, the LPGA is very popular. Um, we made a joke about that last night. Uh, Chevron gave away 4,000 tickets <laughs> so, so people would go to it. But she, she, we're all talking about life and ministry and, and relationships, and we were talking about some failed relationships in, in our past. And, and it brought to mind this passage, that there's struggle and difficulty with some relationships, some people that we know mutually. And, and how hard that is when relationships are challenging. When, when you know people are against you, it's hard. And sometimes you don't know what to do. You don't know how to respond. And Jesus is very clear that we need to extend love. And love doesn't mean I lay down and let them trample over me. No, love means I extend mercy and grace. That maybe sometimes I take the first step. And if it's not received, it's okay. But, but I'm going to take the first step of love. I, I'm going to do what no one else will do. And as I was preparing this week, I, I also thought about the old movie Tin Cup with Kevin Costner. And since we're on the golf theme, it was a golf movie. At the very end of the movie, he's in a big championship. He has the opportunity to win. He can either lay up before the creek or go for the green. Well, he decides because he's, you know, Kevin Costner. Uh, he's going to go for the green. Well, he misses it and it goes in the water. So his chances for winning are done. He asks his caddy, which is either Cheech or Chong, I can never remember, uh, if you're old enough to know, you shouldn't have watched those movies. Um, I wasn't quite old enough and didn't, uh, which is good. Uh, and, and so he goes for a second shot, hits in the water. He loses ultimately 12 strokes, I, I, I kind of 12 strokes trying to hit it on the green. He's down to his last ball. And if you don't know in professional golf, if you run out of golf balls, you're disqualified. So he gets down to his last ball, and the whole movie was about perfection is, is unattainable. That's kind of a, one of the themes of the movie, perfection is unattainable. Well, he's proven that the previous six shots in the water. So he gets down to his last ball, the girlfriend, you can do it. Caddy's like, this is it. You missed this, we're going home. And what happens? He knocks it in the hole. Thank you, old guys who've seen the movie. Uh, he knocks it in the hole. Like he hits it in the hole after the seventh time. He lost 12 strokes. And at the end of the movie, the funny part about the whole thing is the girlfriend comes up, embraces him, and he's like, I lost. And she goes, nobody's going to remember who won this tournament, but they'll remember the day 10 cup hit it in the hole. They'll remember that day. And so here's my question to us. What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered that hmm, I did my best and I got the participation trophy? 
Or do you want to be remembered as someone who shall be perfect? Who shall be perfect? That you actually embraced both the promise of God and the command of God that you shall be perfect. Complete, mature, whole. That when people look at who you are, they say, there's a person who is like Jesus. There's a person who demonstrates the power, the supernatural power of God living in them. They're just not going along to, getting, to get along. They are living fully. They're living that teleos life. The I am perfect I will be perfect. That's the life they're living. Ruth Bell Graham, who was the wife of Billy Graham, the famous evangelist of the 20th century, that's kind of weird to say, uh, in the 1900s, so long ago. But that famous evangelist's wife said this. She saw one day as she was driving by a construction zone. The construction zone had a sign that said, end of construction, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. It struck her so much that she told her husband and her family that's what she wanted written on her headstone when she died. <laughs> that's a weird. But that's exactly what happened. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. She is now perfect. She's perfect. And along the way, others needed to be patient with her as she was pursuing perfection, even though she was already perfect because of her relationship with Jesus Christ. And so my hope for all of us is that we will allow God to continue constructing us to be more like Jesus so that we too may be perfect. That's our goal, perfection. Let's live differently than the rest of the world. Will you pray with me?